and welcome to the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. I'm your host, Vic Sage, and for this show, I'll be talking about Atari's 1988 quirky but fun recreational tubing-inspired classic, Tubin. Tubin was released in June of 1988 by Atari Games. It has been reported that a total of 1,500 cabinets were produced, and the game itself had a selling price of $2,395. At this point in arcade history, the Great Crash of 1983 had of course already taken place. With Atari's home division being sold by parent company Warner Communications to Jack Tramiel back in 1984, leaving Atari with the coin-op branch and renaming itself Atari Games. A year later, the company was picked up by Namco, but just after another year had passed, Namco gave up on keeping an American subsidiary operational. So it was in 1986 that a number of Atari Games employees banded together to purchase Namco's shares. Tubin was designed by Milt Loper, who has a pretty impressive list of games under his belt, like 1986's 720 Degrees, 1988's Hard Driving, as well as its 1990 sequel, Race Driving. It seems that Milt was going apostrophe crazy during this time. He also designed 1989's Stun Runner, 1990s Hydra, as well as the infamous Pit Fighter. The sound design for Tubin, which deserves plenty of praise, was handled by both Brad Fuller and Hal Cannon. Both of these guys have worked on some classic titles, like Gauntlet in Gauntlet 2, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Marble Madness, Paperboy, Millipede, Rampart, Clax, and The Empire Strikes Back. Tubin tasks one to two players in cooperative play to guide two totally radical dudes named Biff, clad in red swimming shorts, and Jet, wearing blue shorts, down three classes of rivers, each having five for a total of 15 different rivers. They are Class 1, Colorado, Amazon, Okefenokee, American, and The Nile. Class 2, Yukon, Argentum, Left Bank, Kuprum, and Canals of Mars. Class 3, Jurassic River, Black Forest, Rio Grande, The River Styx, and finally Nightmare. They're actually classes 4 through 6, but they are just repeats of the previous levels. Of course, depending on who you're playing the game with, the cooperative aspect of the game can vanish quicker than an inner tube caught in an undertow. If there is only one player, the computer will substitute the second spot with Flotsam, a bizarrely purple and blue character. Maybe he's a drow. You might ask how I know our water-sporting enthusiasts are radical. It's pretty much there on the attract screen, where it boldly says, Go tubin with the tube dudes. They think they're cool. Of course, there's also the default high score screen to back me up, with the spots 1 through 10 spelling out Biff and Jet are way rad. The seventh spot is filled with hearts, and then you have Get Wet Now. The late 80s were a wonderfully crazy time, my friends. Tubin is famous for what some might describe as a pretty interesting control scheme. 
There are no joysticks. Instead, each player has access to five buttons, with the top two buttons controlling your left and right backwards paddle, the bottom two allowing you to paddle forward when pressing both buttons in, and when pressing only one of the paddle buttons, allowing you to turn the inner tube. The fifth button gives you the option of hurling a can of soda at an intended target, like an obstacle in your path or to stun a foe. The gameplay is set up as a sort of river race, with players attempting to obtain as many points as possible, which is easier to do if you are bumping into your fellow player's inner tube. You know, to kindly guide them into the various deadly obstacles like floating logs, falling coconuts as well as rocks, cattle stampedes, snakes, crocodiles, barbed wire, thorny bushes, icebergs, and mines to name a few. Players receive points just for traveling down the river, picking up treasure chests with green being the lowest value, followed by red and then gold. To get the big points though, you need to be able to pass through, or swish as it's termed, through five gates in a row. This causes your score multiplier to increase up to a multiplier of times five. But you have to pass cleanly through the gates, or the player will lose one multiplier for each bump against the gate. Basic gates that are cleanly swished are worth anywhere from 2,000, 1,000, 500, and 250. A gate once passed through will decrease in points until they reach 100, but will go no lower, which is one way to make sure your co-op player doesn't earn as many points, by passing through the gate and then bumping your own player into it a couple times before your opponent can obtain a higher gate score. Biff and Jet, as I mentioned just a moment ago, have soda cans as weapons. A player may carry a total of nine at a time. You can replenish that number by picking up cans floating in the river. And if you nap a six-pack power-up, you are granted unlimited cans until you suffer a blowout on your inner tube, or I should say, lose a life. Which in Tubin is tracked by how many patches you have left for your inner tube. Your score multiplier, of course, will also be reset to one. Players earn extra patches by scoring that river's required number of points. These change river to river. You can find that info on the bottom left and right of the screen. Sharp-eyed players may also receive additional inner tube patches by picking them up as they're traveling downriver. The soda cans can be thrown at either Flotsam or your co-player to slow them down, or even stun opponents on the shores of the river, like fly fishermen, natives, cavemen, devils, Martians, street punks, dinosaurs, penguins, and bears. Biff and Jet visit some very odd and dangerous places indeed. You will mostly use your sodas to destroy certain obstacles, to clear yourself a safe path, or even reveal bonus points, extra patches, beach balls, which act as a speed boost, soda six-packs, or a letter to help spell out Tubin. Each of those letters will net you 10,000 points apiece. Plus, at the time of the game's release, if you collected all those letters, you would receive something very special. But I'll save that info for just a bit later. Players need to also keep an eye out for the 25,000 point gate, which if your score multiplier is maxed out at times 5 means you will get 125,000 points for successfully swishing it. Although, unlike the other gates on the river, you get a single chance at nabbing that score. Now even with all those obstacles and foes trying to rupture their inner tubes, Biff and Jet have to worry about one other foe on the river. If the players are taking too long, Big Gator will make an appearance at the top of the screen. The only options to get away from its hungry jaws are to paddle furiously down to the bottom of the screen, which risks you running into obstacles, swishing through a gate, or conking the big guy on the snout with a well-timed soda can. 
One more thing on the river players should look for are the Warp Whirlpools, which will enable a player to travel to a higher class, as well as earning points for doing so. One tip from pro players is after starting on class 1, as you're approaching the first gate, there's a sign that states this way to class 2, leading to a Warp Whirlpool. Throw your soda cans at the twigs in front of the entrance and use your back pedal to get up in there. You will then be warped to the beginning of class 2, then head to the right of the screen where you will see a sign again, but for a warp to class 3. Shoot the iceberg in front of it, paddle back up and you'll find yourself on class 3. You will earn 600,000 points each for those warps. That's 1,200,000 points right there. The world record holder for Tubin for a single player game where no continues are permitted was 4,435,753 points and that was achieved by Eric Allers on May 30th, 2009. The high score holder for Tubin at the Arcadia Retrocade is none other than Bo Counts, one of our techs at the arcade. He nabbed the top spot with 2,206,757 points. As I said just a moment ago, there was a very real reward back in the day when Tubin was gobbling quarters, and that was if you managed to collect all of the hidden Tubin letters, you could get a Tubin t-shirt from the Too Cool t-shirt contest. Really, that was the name of it. Once you nabbed all of them, a screen would pop up saying, Right on! By collecting all the letters, you win a free Tubin t-shirt. To get your shirt, please enter the following information. The player would then enter their initials, month, and day they were born, and then a secret code would be generated for the player to write down and send to Atari Games in California so they could get their shirt. I'll try to look online and see if I can't find an image of one to share on this post over at the Retroist. A game as popular as Tubin was saw home ports to the likes of the Atari ST, Commodore 64 and Amiga computers, the Amstrad CPC, ZX Spectrum, MSX computers, and of course, the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is where I personally first played this title. Tubin also received a port to the Game Boy Color, as well as being packaged in the Midway Arcade Treasures, the Arcade Party Pack, and Midway Arcade Origins. Arcadia, Arcadia will be right back after these messages. This is the Nintendo Video Game System. It plays only cartridge games. This is the new Atari XE System. It plays cartridge and disc-based games. Disc drives sold separately, and only Atari comes with a real joystick. Both have guns, but only Atari comes with the target game Bug Hunt. Nintendo has a toy robot, but only Atari gives you a keyboard for playing advanced computer games. It even comes with the amazing Flight Simulator 2 cartridge. The new Atari XE Video Game System. Unbeatable. How can you get all the thrills of Gauntlet 2 to your very own home? Simple. Just pick up the new NES version. Gauntlet 2, with all the graphics, sound, and features of the arcade original. From Mindscape. And coming soon, Dirty Harry. There are a couple more things to mention about Tubin, and the first is the rather awesome cabinet design. It has a large marquee, not quite as big as Mappy's though, depicting Jet and Biff as they have fun traversing some rapids. The Tubin name is made to look like it was formed by multicolored inner tubes. 
Behind that marquee are two cylinders that rotate to give the illusion of the water on the rapids actually moving. Sadly, our arcade cabinet at the Arcadia Retrocade was gutted of that feature when Shea Mathis purchased it at an auction down in Texas. Tubin was one of the first 20 games that Shea bought for the arcade when he was planning out the dream of what would become Arcadia. It also, if my memory serves me correctly, happens to be one of the first titles that we were forced to adjust the volume on. I mean, it was set to like ear-splitting volume. Tubin has a reputation for its catchy soundtrack, but if you have to grit your teeth when you walk by it, that's just too loud. Speaking of that soundtrack, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, both Brad Fuller and Hal Cannon truly deserve credit for the music they crafted for the game. The themes range from quasi-western to futuristic. Now, I'm not going to play clips from all of them, but I am going to share a handful of my favorites, starting with Colorado, which is the sound clip I used for the last Diary episode. we have the sci-fi themed Canals of Mars. Next, we have a very peppy theme entitled Rio Grande. Last but not least on my personal favorite list is Okefenoki, a down-home toe-tapping theme suitable for floating down swampy rivers. Last week, I received a wonderful email from Ryan Berger, who asked, quote, How do you handle set up the consoles for usage? Do people check out cartridges? What consoles and games do you offer? End quote. Thank you very much for dropping us a line, Ryan. There are currently two spots in the arcade where retro consoles are made available. And of course, like the 130-plus arcade cabinets, they are free to play once you've paid the $5 admission. Near the entrance on the deck, that's where the cocktail games and a handful of other classic titles like the Galaga series are situated. Shea has set up the Atari 2600. It's hooked up to a glorious old color TV cabinet, the kind you could find back in the late 1970s, which is in front of an awesome old couch that is just 
perfect for sitting and playing long hours with joystick in hand. At a rough count, I believe the arcade possesses around 80 cartridges, far too many to name, but some of my personal favorites in that collection are Junior Pac-Man, Keystone Capers, Spider-Man, Gorf, Dragonfire, and Adventure. It is in the back of the arcade where there is a larger display of classic home consoles. Off to the left, just under the shelf displaying toys and books from the 80s, you will find the Magnavox Odyssey 2, the Intellivision, ColecoVision, as well as the Sega Genesis. There are a handful of Genesis titles that the players can choose from, like Sonic the Hedgehog, X-Men, Echo the Dolphin, and Zombies Ate My Neighbors. The Odyssey 2, Intellivision, and ColecoVision titles are kept in the office, and we will allow players to ask for them. Some highlights for the Intellivision include Tron Deadly Discs, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, as well as AD&D, Treasure of Tarman, and Night Stalker. For the ColecoVision, we have Buck Rogers, Planet of Zoom, Zaxxon, Gorf, Frontline, Miner 2049er, Mousetrap, Pepper 2, Smurf, Rescue and Gargamel's Castle, and Time Pilot, to name a few. And for the Odyssey, the arcade has obtained KC Munchkin, which is my favorite, Pickaxe Pete, Quest for the Rings, Monkey Shines, and Volleyball. To the right of that area is where the Nintendo 64 and Nintendo Entertainment System are set up. To be fair, that is kind of the Nintendo corner anyway, what with the punch-out cabinet as well as the Versus cabinet over there. Players do not check out the games for those systems, although we sadly learned the hard way that leaving GoldenEye and Super Smash Bros. out was a quick way to lose them. The same fate befell our copy of The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, I am sad to report. But the highlights for both those systems include Gauntlet Legends, Battle Tanks, Wave Racer 64, and Mario Party for the N64, with Super Mario Bros. slash Duck Hunt, Gunsmoke, Castlevania, Contra, and Mega Man 2 for the NES. That area has a giant orange couch that is perfect for multiplayer games. We do, by the way, have Super Smash Bros. as well as GoldenEye at Arcadia, but players must ask for it and must return it back to us when done. I think that about wraps up our show for this go-around. But I would like to remind everyone listening that on Wednesday nights, I generally have a live feed at the Arcadia Retrocade. You can find the feed on you now, Y-O-U-N-O-W, and find me by searching for my Twitter handle, which is VicSage2005. There's no set amount of time for each feed, but I usually do it a couple times a night, taking my tablet through the arcade, talking to the players, and letting you see and hear those classic games. So I hope you'll join us for the next Diary of an Arcade Employee vidcast this Wednesday. Our wonderful ending theme entitled River Raid was composed by the extremely talented Tony Longworth. You can listen to even more of his music on SoundCloud and on his official site, which you can reach at www.tonylongworth.com. Friends, if you have any feedback for the show or perhaps a suggestion for a game to cover, you can reach me at vicsage at retroist.com. Diary of an Arcade Employee is now available for download on iTunes. So if you have a moment, I would really appreciate it if you could stop by there and give us a positive review. It certainly helps to get the word out to new listeners. For further information about the Arcadia Retrocade, please make sure to follow them over on their Facebook page. I will be sure to provide a link on the Retroist post. I want to give a huge thanks to the Retroist for not just hosting this podcast, but for allowing me to record in the Retroist vault. And when you need your daily retro fix, why not visit the Retroist site at www.retroist.com. Have a token on me as we listen to a clip for the game I will discuss on our next show.
Lead on, adventurer. Your quest awaits. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye, and we hope to see you next time.